It's the very one I use, so I highly endorse it. Pretty much any Bible's good, but red Bibles are super cool. So, For those of you who don't know me, uh, I didn't introduce myself. My name's Dan Jackson. I'm the planting pastor of Jacob's Well. And we're so excited about what God is doing here at Jacob's Well and how he's working to help redeem the lives of the people in the community of Green Bay and beyond. Uh, we're amazed to see God's faithfulness and his graciousness and his mercy to us. And we're so glad that you're here this morning to help to, to, to be a part of what God is doing. We started a series called Freedom from Religion, and we're going through the book of Galatians. The reason why we picked this series to start out with is because we believe that in America, and especially Green Bay, Wisconsin, religion is one of the biggest obstacles to people coming to know Christ. You do the things, you, you, you get baptized, you, get, um, you go through confirmation class, you say the prayer, you walk the aisle, you do all these things, you check the boxes, and you really never need Jesus as long as you do all these things that the church tells you to do. Now, many of these things are not bad. Matter of fact, many of these things are commanded by God that we would do them. But to, we do them because we know Christ. We do them not we do them to get to know Christ. We don't do them to earn Christ's love and favor. And so that's why we're going through the book of Galatians and freedom from religion. We talked last week about how Paul audaciously claims that he has the only true gospel. That everyone else's gospel is false. This world is full of man-made gospels. All you have to do to realize this is turn on the TV and you'll see all the advertisements that are on the, during the commercials. All of these, more or less, are gospels. They're ways to fix your life because your life could be so much better if you just buy their product, right? And so you could really look at any commercial and see this. You know, ones that stick out to me, I think of, of the ones that come on when the, the Cialis commercial, where the, the, men is, the man is just so happy, women are lining up to be with him, uh, the other men are jealous, everybody's smiling, this funny music is playing, and this is their gospel. If you take this pill, life will be perfect. I mean, you can even see this like on vacuum commercials where a woman is vacuuming her carpet, right? She's always smiling. I love the before and after. They'll do her previous vacuum and she's like, Urgh! and then she'll do their vacuum. She's like, la, la, la. And the music's playing and, and the dad is mowing the lawn and the kids are studying patiently. And it's like, if you buy a vacuum, your life will be wonderful. It's a gospel. I love the sham wow guy, all right? I got shammed into the sham wow guy, all right? I'm just confessing. I bought the sham wow. It was only 20 bucks. It wasn't bad. But to be honest with you, I'm a little bit disappointed. Uh, how many of you have sham wows? All right, I'm the only one gullible enough to buy a sham wow. This is embarrassing. What's a sham wow? Oh, you'll have to find out. Talk to your husband. He'll tell you. But uh, it's... Uh, Anyways, they really don't work super great. Uh, a cloth diaper works much better for cleaning up spills. But here's the reality is that all these man-made gospels, they might give you a temporary joy. They might make your house a little bit cleaner. Um, they might clean up spills just a little bit. But they're always ultimately disappointing. And this is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying there is only one true gospel. If you would open up to Galatians chapter 1, if you have a red Bible... It's in page 972. Uh, what Paul, 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 um, let me back up. Paul comes to know Christ about a year or two after Jesus raises from the dead. 
Paul kind of disappears for over a decade, and then, and then he goes on these missionary journeys. And on his first missionary journey, he goes to the region of Galatia. And while he's there, he plants churches. And he plants his churches based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as he goes and he plants these churches, he, he goes from church to church to church, and then he moves back to his home place. And when he's at his home place, he hears these reports of how false teachers, extremely religious men, have infiltrated the church and started to proclaim another gospel and how they have started to pervert the gospel. And so Paul writes very boldly to the Galatians, asking them why they have been deceived so easily. And in the first few verses that we studied, Paul was really defending, uh, as we studied it, Paul was defending his divine apostleship, and he was defending the exclusivity of the gospel, that there is only one true gospel. Last week, we started this series uh, where Paul is defending the origin of his gospel. He's telling them that my gospel is not from man. I didn't make this up. This gospel comes from God. And that's what we're going to read today. So read along with me if you would. Galatians chapter 1, we'll read verse 11 through 24. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So you see the main point right here, right away. The gospel I preach, it's not from me, it's not from man, it's from God. And then the rest of this is to prove that. Verse 13, For you have heard of my former life of Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father, But when he who had sent me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, who's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the region of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorify God because of me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we listen to Paul's exhortation, his, his argument of why there is only one true gospel, Lord. Pray that you would soften our hearts. Help us to cherish the one true gospel that you have proclaimed to us. You have not left us void. You have not left us to wonder what is the truth, what is the good news of Christ. You have written it down clearly that we might trust in him, that we might be saved, and that we might know you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul's making this claim that his gospel is the yardstick by which every other gospel would be measured. And if it's contrary to his gospel, then it's not true. And so this claim that Paul makes is based on the fact from him that his gospel comes from God. That's divine origin. All other gospels are made up by man, but Paul's gospel is from God. 
And so we started the series talking about how do we know that Paul's gospel is from God? How do we know Paul didn't just make it up? And we started it, and we only got through the first main point last week. But we talked about how we know by Saul's religion before conversion. Saul was a religious superstar. I'm just sort of recapping from last week, but he was well known among the Jews for the ways that he persecuted the church by by uh, dragging Christians out, by beating them, by throwing them in jail, by approving of Christians being murdered. And so he was, he was a religious zealot, but he was also, uh, if you remember, we said he was top gun. He was valedictorian of his class and his religion class. And so he was a superstar among the Jews. He was an extremely religious man. And then we looked and we saw how, how religion, such as how Paul used it, is often used as a club to beat people. That religion conforms people by force, but the gospel transforms people by grace. And so one way that we know that, that the gospel is from God is we see Paul's religion. And what happens is religion from man always leads to some extent to some sort of abuse, some sort of anger, some sort of frustration, some sort of judgmentalism. But the gospel leads to love. And so that's one way we know. And then today we'll look at, um, we know that the gospel is from God by Paul's remoteness after conversion. It's confusing, we'll get to it. But also by Saul's revelation at conversion. So let's look at Paul's remoteness after conversion and see why this would possibly tell us that his gospel is from God and not from man. Look with me, if you would, verse 16. He said, I'm going to read through 22, and then we'll unpack it a little bit. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James the Lord's brother. I know you're probably thinking, who cares? Big deal. But obviously this is big to Paul, because look what he writes in the next verse. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. So it's very important that this is communicated from Paul's perspective. He says, Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. And so as we look through the map up here, um, what happens here is Paul is in Jerusalem, and he starts persecuting the Christians in Jerusalem, starts beating them, throwing them in jail, things like that. Uh, Stephen, who's a Christian, is stoned, and the Christians start spreading out all over this area because Christians are starting to be killed. And so Saul goes to his leadership, which is the Sanhedrin, and he says, can I go and persecute Christians somewhere else? <laughs> They've all left, and I still want to you know, eradicate this religion. And so they give him permission, and Paul starts to journey towards Damascus. And along his journey, somewhere along there, Christ appears to him. And we're going to go in more detail on that in a little bit, but he's converted to Christianity. And so he becomes a Christian, and for three years he goes out into Arabia, which is kind of like the wilderness. Uh, He goes out there for three years, and then he returns to Damascus, comes to Jerusalem for just a few days, and then he goes up to Cilicia. And so this is sort of the the path that Paul is talking about here. And what he wants to show is that he was not around Jerusalem much. When Paul was in Jerusalem for those 15 days, he came not to learn. He came to teach. Acts uh, Acts 9, 28 and 29 explains this to you a little bit better. It says, He went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly 
in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed amongst the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And so Paul went to Jerusalem for 15 days, but he didn't go to learn from Peter. He went to proclaim the gospel, one that had already been established in his heart. It's interesting, when, when Paul went into Arabia for three years, some say that's because Paul was making up for what the apostles had. They had three years with Jesus. And so Paul went into the wilderness for three years to learn and be nurtured by Jesus and to come back as an apostle to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The point is this, is that while Paul may have encountered the apostles for two weeks, while he encountered Peter, he really was never sitting under their teaching. And so he was, uh, Paul was, had remoteness from their teaching. And so there's no way that man could have taught him the gospel. It would have had to come from Jesus. And so he had remoteness from teaching, but he also had remoteness for teaching. Verse 22 says this, And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They, being the Judeans, only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. The people who heard of this man, Paul, who was so famous for his religious zealousness, also heard about how this man had been completely flipped by Jesus Christ. He turned from being a persecutor to a proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has completely changed him. And God gave Paul a private revelation so that he could have a public declaration of the grace and mercy and love of Jesus Christ. It goes on in um, Galatians 2.1, which is just the next verse after what we finish reading here. It says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. And so here's the point. What Paul is saying is that for 14 years after my conversion, I never checked with the apostles. I never said, is the gospel I'm preaching correct? But after 14 years, Paul goes to the disciples and says, this is the gospel I'm preaching. And they said, it's the same gospel we're preaching. And so you see that the apostles and Paul both received the gospel from God. Its origins were not from man. On April 14th, some people from Iowa all the way up to the upper peninsula of Michigan saw a fireball in the sky. Maybe you heard of this, but 911 got all these calls because there was this light that streaked across the sky and there was actually a sonic boom. And so you can imagine what people were probably thinking. They were probably thinking either uh, a nuclear attack, the sky is falling. Uh, they could think of a whole host of things, but they were all calling 911 saying, look what's happening. And uh, evidently, all it was is it was space debris that entered, the that entered our solar system. And there was this huge fireball uh, coming across the sky. But as I look at that, it's kind of similar to this because the 911 operator in Iowa probably was not asking, did you talk to the guy in Michigan? Is that how you came up with this story? See, this was, they were both witnesses to this fireball. They were, they were miles apart, but they both saw it which added to the validity of it actually happening because many people didn't see it. With Paul and the apostles, they were nowhere near each other. Paul might have been in Iowa, you could say, and the apostles in Michigan. But they were both told the gospel by Jesus Christ himself. And by seeing these testimonies of two different people who did, never really collaborated for 14 years, proves that this gospel is not from man, but it's from God.
So we see that we know that the gospel is from God because of the remoteness that Paul had after his conversion, remoteness from teaching of the disciples and remoteness for teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondly, what we see here is that Saul's revelation at conversion proves that this gospel is from Christ, that the gospel is not made up by man. Verse 15, he says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. The revelation was by grace, Paul says. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Uh, in some ways, is getting the opposite of what you deserve, really. Uh, Acts chapter 9 goes through the conversion of Paul, and it talks about what we have said already, that he goes to the synagogue, he gets letters from him, and he says, can I go and persecute the church in Damascus? Will you give me permission to throw Christians in jail? And so on his journey up to Damascus, a great light appears to Paul. And Paul is blinded, and he hears a voice. None of his travelers with him heard the voice, but Paul hears a voice of Christ saying, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he says, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus. And he commands Saul to to go into Damascus. So Saul goes into Damascus, and he waits there. And while he's there, not eating, not drinking, unable to see, the Lord appears to a man in Damascus called Ananias. And I love this. I don't know what I would do if I was Ananias, but the Lord comes to Ananias in the vision and tells him to go to, to Saul and to lay your hands on him and pray for him that he might become an instrument of proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles. And then this is what happens in Acts chapter 9, verse 13. It says, But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on his name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Ananias remembered how awful Saul was, how much he persecuted the church with his religion. He was afraid to go. I don't know if I would have the faith of Ananias. I hope I would. But Ananias says, I know this guy came to beat me up and throw me in jail but I'm going to go pray for him. And he goes and does it. And Saul receives his sight. He's baptized with the Holy Spirit. And immediately he starts to proclaim the good news of Christ in the synagogues, which is amazing to see how God completely flipped Paul's life. Paul was utterly deserving of God's love. He's going to persecute the church, to hurt the church, to throw them in jail. He was an enemy of God. He's an enemy of the people of God. This is actually in Scripture. This is how God defines everyone that is not his child. That if you do not trust in Christ, you are actually enemies with God. And yet, through his grace and his mercy, God appeared to Paul and revealed his son, Jesus, to him. And God set him apart. So God was gracious to him. He revealed him by grace. But God also was the one who did the revelation. And this is extremely important. In verse 13 and 14, this is really neat. Paul is talking about all of his religious merit, about what a good man he was. And his subject in that whole past, in, in the verses 13 and 14, it's always I. I did this. I did that. He says, 
I persecuted the church. I tried to destroy. I advanced in Jerusalem. It's I, 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 I. Religion is I, 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 I. It's all about me. But when Paul switches to talk about his conversion, about when Christ appears to him, it's no longer I, but it's God. Look with me in verse 15. It says, But when he, being God, who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And he says, God set me apart. God called me by God's grace. God revealed God's son to me so that God might be preached. This is an important distinction between religion and true Christianity, religion and the gospel. With religion... It's all about me. With the gospel, it's what God has done. God is the hero of the story. God is the one who saves. How many of you have heard of a man named Charles Shaw, John Davis, or Brad Howell? How many of you have ever heard of famous people by this name? Okay, do you know who they are? What's that? You didn't think I was going to ask, did you? All right. Um, There's a guy named Frank Farian. Uh, who was sort of a music mogul, and he had some men that were wonderful singers, but they were white, chubby, upper-aged males. And he thought, you know what? These guys are not very marketable. And so he goes to a dance club in Berlin, Germany, and he grabs these two good-looking, younger models who are later named Rob and Fob, and they form a group called Millie Vanilli. That's right. Maybe you've heard of Millie Vanilli, but these guys, they had fame, they had fortune, they had women, they had anything that they wanted. They would do live concerts, anything, but uh, it all kind of fell apart. On, uh, on, on one occasion, they were on MTV live as a concert, and they started to do their concert. And it, it, I think it was, girl, you know it's true. You know that song. And it started to skip. It started saying it over and over, girl, you know, girl, you know, girl, you know, girl, you know. And they tried to go along with it. Finally, they just ran off stage because they were so embarrassed. Well, Millie Vanilli actually won a Grammy. They took credit for the songs that they did, but then it was revoked from them. What they were doing was plagiarism. Religion is plagiarism. Think about it. Religion is plagiarism. It's claiming God's work to be my own. That I was a good person. That I did good things. That I was worthy of being loved. That I am exceptional. That I had good church attendance. That I did all these things. But it's plagiarism. It's God who saves by his grace. And he saves people that frankly don't deserve it. Religion emphasizes your pursuit of God. The gospel emphasizes God's pursuit of you. It's interesting. I go to the Y a few times a week. I get a lot of illustrations out of it, actually. But uh, I'm always trying to talk to people about spiritual things, about church, about Christ, things like that. And the way I do it is I go to noon basketball, and I'll ask them, I'll say, so um, how, do you, uh, how do you have a job that lets you off for an hour and a half in the middle of the day to come play basketball? And they'll tell me what they do, and then they'll turn to me, and they'll say, what do you do? And I say, oh, well, I'm a church planter. Do you go to church anywhere? And that way it sort of segues into this spiritual conversation. And what's really funny is all, almost every time they give me their religious credentials, right? They give me all their merit of why they're such a good 
religious person. Like, you know, my grandma's dog was really religious. My grandma's dog went to church all the time. Or, you know, uh, when I was in high school, I was part of a youth group. And they'll give me all these credentials about why they are such a good person, why they are a religious person. But what we see is that the gospel is not about what they have done. It's about what God has done for them. My dad told me this line the other day. He said, religion is man pursuing God. Christianity is God pursuing man. All of us have chased after false gospels. All of us have chased after sham wows in one way or another. We have pursued things for hope, for salvation, for grace. All of us have been enemies with God. And yet God looked at you and he pursued you and he sent Christ to the cross for you to die for your chasing of false gospels, to die for your chasing of man-made gospels, that you might be saved and enlivened by the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. God did that for you because he pursues you. Francis Thompson called God the hound of heaven. And Tolkien, uh, who wrote Chronicles of Narnia, or no, I'm sorry, he wrote, uh, what did he write? Lord of the Rings, thank you. Um, he, he wrote this, uh, he, he, read, he read Thompson's little thing about God being the hound of heaven, and Tolkien reflected and said this, as the hound follows the hare, never ceasing in its running, ever drawing nearer in the chase, so does God follow the fleeting soul by his divine grace, till the soul feels its pressure forcing it to turn to him alone in that never-ending pursuit. If, if you're here and God is keeping you awake at night, if God is, is hounding you, it's by his grace. It's because he loves you. Maybe you're like Paul and you're trying to run away from God. You have your own ideas of what you want to do in life. You want to pursue a career. You want to pursue whatever it might be. And God would maybe be a hindrance to you. I would just like to encourage you today to give up. <laughs> How often do you hear that from church? Give up. Give up. If God is hounding you, give over your life to him. Trust in the one true gospel that Jesus Christ came to save you because he loves you and cares for you. Give up to the grace of God. So, in wrapping this all up, how do we know Paul's gospel is God's gospel? How do we know it's not just made up by another man? And what we looked at is basically how God had flipped Paul's life around, right? Before he was a believer, Paul was an extremely religious man. And we saw that by the way that he persecuted the church, also how he pursued religion with great zeal. Then we saw how God flipped him and he was remote after conversion, both from the teaching of the apostles, but for teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ that God had told to him. And finally, we saw that Saul's revelation at conversion proves that the gospel is from God because it couldn't have come from anywhere else. The truth is, of God's gospel as the only true gospel is not only found in how God flipped Saul's life to Paul's life, but how he's flipping the lives of people today. We have a short video that's going to go into this just a little bit more.
The way God flips people's lives around today is a testimony to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is all around us. If you come back to Jacob's well, if you haven't seen, we have people that come up and share testimonies often about what God is doing in their life, how he has flipped their life around, and it proves the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it shows that it is alive and active today. If Paul had, these are called cardboard testimonies. If Paul had a cardboard testimony, on one side it would say, persecuting Jesus. On the other side it would say, pursued by Jesus. What is your cardboard testimony? How has God flipped your life around? Would you testify to others that they might know the one true gospel of Jesus Christ? Maybe you're here today and God has never flipped your life around. He's the hound of heaven. (laughs) He's pursuing you. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants to flip your life around. It is glorious. It is wonderful. It is forgiveness. It is truth. It is freedom. Paul claims that his gospel is the only one true gospel, but it's only if it's from God. And if Paul's gospel is from God, then to reject his gospel is to reject God. But to accept his gospel is to get God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who flips people's lives around, who redeems and saves people that hate you, people that are your enemies, people that persecute you and persecute your church, God. We confess that that has been all of us, God, that we have all been people who have run from you, but because you are the hound of heaven, because you chase us relentlessly, you have redeemed us, you have saved us by your grace, even when maybe we didn't really want it, God. You have changed our heart, and we praise you for that, Lord God. Lord, we pray that if there are any here today who do not know you, God, that they would know and understand and see and experience the love that's brought to us through Christ at the cross, paying the debt for our sins, Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Weekly, we celebrate the Lord's Supper here at Jacob's Well, and we believe that as we partake of the Lord's Supper, when we receive it by faith, just like we do the Word of God, that it nourishes our soul, it encourages us in our faith, it helps us to remember the good news of Christ. It is a visible expression of the gospel that Paul was preaching, that Christ died for you, that he that his body was broken and his blood was shed for you. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 11 again about what God had done um, in this Lord's Supper. It's Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he says this. He says, The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread and gave thanks. He broke the bread and gave it to his disciples and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. He goes on to to talk about this. He says, that let a person examine himself then And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. The body that he's talking about here is not the bread. He's talking about the body of Jesus Christ. 
If you're here today and you do not trust in Christ, if Christ is not your Savior, if you do not believe that there is one true gospel of Christ's payment for your sins at the cross, we would encourage you just to sit and to consider what it would mean to trust in Christ. But if you do trust in Jesus Christ, this table is for you. If you're here today and you have not discerned the body, what that means is, do you have any unrepentant sin against someone? Are you harboring hate in your heart towards someone? You need to go and repent before you take the Lord's Supper. And so maybe this week you would need to just wait. Go this week, confess to someone, ask for forgiveness, forgive them, and then come next week and join us with the Lord's Supper. As we uh, sing this next song, as your heart is prepared to take of the Lord's Supper, uh, come and take. This is not Jacob's well, uh, Lord's Supper. This is the Lord's Supper from Jesus Christ himself. And so all are encouraged to come who do trust in Christ. The outer ring is, is wine. Excuse me, the outer ring is grape juice. And the inner ring is wine. And so uh, if you have a preference, you can choose that. But as you're ready, please just come and partake of the Lord's Supper.